You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, episode 198. Elbridge Jerry. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. People are probably expecting us to be talking about Honest Abe this week, but we forgot to talk about a bunch of vice presidents. So we're going to dive in with some of the vice presidents who weren't president. And yeah, we're going to offer this at a deep discount because (laughs) we probably should have done the vice presidents when we were doing the presidents. But yeah, and, and it's partially that we forgot to do them and also partially that we were like, we probably need a lot more prep time for Abraham Lincoln and to do it justice. So we don't want to disappoint anybody, but mostly because we forgot. Right. So Elbridge Jerry, and we've talked about him a little bit because back in episode 142, we talked about gerrymandering and that is exactly where that word comes from, comes from Elbridge Jerry. And we'll get into that in just a bit, but do know this, that, Elbridge Jerry, he was vice president of the United States under James Madison. So we're going a wee bit back in time. So Elbridge Jerry, the guy who we can credit with the crazy looking dragon on the map. <laughs> and we're not talking about whales. We're talking about gerrymandering. You all have seen that picture before. And that is a congressional district in Massachusetts. And that's exactly where he was born, Massachusetts, Marblehead, in 1744. His mom, Elizabeth, was actually born to some merchants in the Boston area, and his mother had an ancestor by the name of John Elbridge. And his parents had 11 children, uh, one of which was Elbridge, and uh, only five of them survived into adulthood, which was pretty common in those days. Uh, But he was the third. And... He has a good education from the start. He starts out with getting privately tutored. He ends up going to Harvard shortly before he turns 14, which I know sounds a little crazy today and was probably a little crazy then even, but students started college at a much earlier age during those days uh, than we would expect students to start now. Uh, So he gets his bachelor's and then he gets his master's and he ends up going into the merchant business with his father. And you know, within a short period of time after uh, all this happens, uh, the Jerry's are like really some of the most wealthy people uh, or merchants in Massachusetts. And, you know, they've got connections all over the globe. They've got 
good relationships with Spain, with the West Indies, etc. So uh, if you need something imported, exported, whatever, get it imported, exported. Oh, sorry, the Seinfeld joke. Jason will get it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you needed something, you could probably go talk to the Jerry's and they could find it for you. Serenity now. No, sorry. Anyway, from very early on in Elbridge's career, he was, and what I mean by career is he gets involved in the assembly for the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Well, in the 1760s, he is all about speaking against the Parliament, English Parliament's efforts to tax the colonies. You remember the whole story, right? Britain owes a lot of money because of the whole French and Indian War. And so the king and parliament, mainly the parliament, was going to enforce importation bans like Ben was alluding to with the Jerry family. This affected him, right? So he and Sam Adams and John Adams and Mercy Otis Warren and some other people they all start speaking against Parliament. In other words, they were a thorn in the king's side. And he continues to be a thorn in the king's side and continues to be involved in politics because in May of 1772, he ends up getting elected to the general court of the province of Massachusetts Bay. Jason mentioned that. And he works closely with those guys to really... Um, correspond and <laughs> fight and argue against and create some of the rebellions a little bit that were, uh, of course, peaceful at the time, but were very much not in favor of some of these stipulations that were being put on the colonies. A few things happen and go by, and there's some issues where he gets involved with a group that's trying to uh, help inoculate against smallpox. And well, some people aren't happy about how this is happening, and they end up protesting and getting into some violent protests of the riots of the sort and go and wreck some of the different facilities that they had set up there. And so that little ambition project was kind of done for Elbridge Jerry. Hey, Ben, I just want to pause for just a moment. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the fever of 1721, uh -huh. that book? And... Uh, a lot of that had to do with the political fever that was going on. But of course, Cotton Mather, he was all about inoculations and infecting people, or I shouldn't say infecting people, but <laughs> giving people a dosage of smallpox in order to inoculate them. And here, our buddy, Elbridge Jerry, was doing just that. Can you imagine the 1700s? Getting inoculated with somebody else's stuff. Yeah, that's I just, pretty crazy. Just kind of nasty. Well, I, you can understand why they, why people had an uprising against it. Because if you just think about it, how it is on its very head, it's insane. It's it's a crazy idea, and the very fact that it could possibly work is so far out of the realm of possibility for most people that, oh, you're going to inject me with a disease and you're going to cure me of a disease? I don't think so. I can understand why right. it was controversial. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, in 1774, Jerry is all involved in politics after the Boston Port Act had closed Boston's port. And 
Marblehead becomes the port where the colonies were receiving goods. So Jerry's playing a pretty big role here because he is getting supplies and goods delivered from Marblehead to Boston. And all the while, his dad is dying. And it was during this period that he gets elected to be a representative to the First Continental Congress. But guess what? His dad does pass away and he is grieving that loss and he does not attend the First Continental Congress. Yeah. He doesn't quite give up on politics yet, though, because a little while later he gets elected to the Provincial Assembly, which later uh, Governor Thomas Gage, he dissolves the Provincial Assembly in October of 1774, and it ends up becoming the Massachusetts Provincial Congress. We've talked about that at least a little bit in the past. So Jerry gets in, he gets assigned to the Committee of Safety, and of course this is to make sure that everything's safe, right? Well, yes and no. Uh, basically, he's he's responsible <laughs> for making sure that all of the weapons and gunpowder and munitions and everything that they have that the British don't get their grubby hands on them. And uh, really, his his part of his job was making sure that weapons were stored at Concord. And uh, this is a large part of what the British were after during the battles of Lexington and Concord in the Revolutionary War. So his job and the job of the other guys near him was a pretty important job because it was really just making sure that, hey, the British don't get these things that they're totally after that could... 100% sway the war. Yeah. So all the while, he is doing pretty well financially, right? And his family, they're making some good, solid gains. So there's all kinds of activity going on. Of course, getting ready to go to war with Britain and then going to war with Britain. And there is money changing hands, uh, private money. But when you come from a wealthy family, like the Jerry family, undoubtedly there's going to be perhaps some insider knowledge going on. And there is some speculation that Elbridge Jerry profited from some of the financial subsidies that Spain gave to Congress, but that cannot be proven. And Elbridge will tell you, or well, he would if he were alive, that this had nothing to do with his family being rich. But anyway, it doesn't sway his election to the Second Continental Congress. So he serves there, and he was very influential in convincing the delegates to support a Declaration of Independence. Yeah, and John Adams was actually very supportive or was very much an admirer, I guess you could say, of Elbridge Jerry. Uh, he actually said, quote, If every man here was a Jerry, the liberties of America would be safe against the gates of earth and hell, end quote. And uh, this is pretty high praise coming from John Adams, because we all know John Adams had some, some things to do with the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and Elbridge Jerry, just being such a strong champion for it, really helped it get through. Uh, there's a little bit of scandal uh, as well, and we don't know how much of a substantiated claim this is, but some people kind of pointed the finger at him during the whole Conway Cabal incident. And this is when you know the, the 
congressmen and military men and other things got together against George Washington during uh, 1777. And there's some, you know, pretty pointed accusations that Jerry was involved, uh, but basically because of some other things that occurred, including him being hard on people who were against Washington, uh, we're really not sure and nothing was ever proven as far as whether or not he was a person in doubt. We haven't done an episode, Jason, on strictly the Conway Cabal, but it comes up pretty often. I wonder I wonder if it's time. We'll have to see if there's an uprising on Twitter. <laughs> Why have Jason and Ben not covered the Conway Cabal yet? Maybe they'll uprise against us. Not a whole lot of insults hurled at us this past week, though. No doe face accusations. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so uh, Jerry was very much a proponent of limited government, uh, especially limited federal government. And he did hold to that pretty fastly, uh, with the exception of later on uh, when uh, Shay's Rebellion comes up. But um, we haven't done a... Did we do an episode on Shay's Rebellion? Nope. So, Ben, perhaps uh, there's another episode we could talk about Shay's Rebellion at some point. Um, But that's the only time that Jerry really proposes any big role on the federal level that they should get involved. So he stays very much a state's rights kind of guy. So in 1780, Jerry resigns from the Continental Congress because he's all about limited government. He goes back to Massachusetts, refuses to be appointed to the state Senate. He says, I want to serve in the House because it's the lower chamber and he could be more effective in the role there. Uh, He does, three years later, join the Confederation Congress in 1783, and he serves there until 1785. Yeah, and while he is there, he ends up meeting Anne Thompson, and her parents were also wealthy New York merchants, or I guess his parents weren't New York merchants, but they're also wealthy and they're also merchants. And she's actually 20 years younger than him. And they end up getting married and have 10 children between the years of 1787 and 1801. So that's uh, 13, 14 years and 10 children. So yeah, they were um, moving quick, I guess you could say. (laughs) And during during the time of the the revolutionary war and the things that came right after it there's a lot of importing and exporting going on there's a lot of need for merchants so uh, this kind of makes the the Jerry family pretty wealthy and Elbridge in specific and he sells off a bunch of his merchant interests a bunch of the things that made him money uh, and starts just dumping money into land and he ends up purchasing Cambridge, Massachusetts. He ends up purchasing an estate in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, which was the estate of the Lieutenant Governor of Massachusetts, Thomas Oliver. And uh, this becomes known as Elmwood. And this is where he ends up staking out a claim for the rest of his life. Yeah. So a few years later, in 1787, Elbridge Jerry goes back to the U.S. Constitutional Convention, uh, because, of course, they had all that swag they were given out in Philly, right? Yep. And he is going back and forth with 
the delegates, and he is all about the fact that the general population should not elect its leaders, that that should be given to a chosen few. So you can give credit or blame to Elbridge Jerry basically for advocating a Senate. And he probably would not be too happy with certain amendments that cause senators to be elected by popular vote. But the reason you have two houses, well, thank thank it, Jerry. All right. We'll just (laughs) leave it at that. Now, there were um, some issues going on there at the Constitutional Convention, such as the issue of slavery, and he opposed some of those issues, uh, like the Three-Fifths Compromise. Uh, We've talked about that. And he um, was definitely against giving the South too much of a hold when it came to national interests. So as we mentioned before, Jerry is very much a states' rights, lack of central government kind of guy. Usually those individuals are very much focused on the rights of private citizens and the liberties that are supposed to be given to them or that they're allowed to have. And so he's pretty upset about the fact that the individual liberties in the Constitution just aren't what they should be. Uh, really, he wants to he, he votes against it because there's no essentially bill of rights there's no individual liberties spelled out it's more about the country as a whole etc and so he is one of the three delegates like i said along with george mason and edmund randolph that says you know this convention maybe maybe we don't have the authority to make such a big change to our nation's government um we don't like all the strong central government wording. We really think it should be more people-focused. So no, I'm not going to vote for it. And that's where we'll leave you. Uh, I mean, obviously you know where the Constitution goes from that point. <laughs> but that's where we'll leave you until the next episode where we'll continue talking about Elbridge Jerry's life. Hey, Ben, just before we close this episode, you know, he gets in this shouting match with um, Francis Dana, who was the convention chair. And wouldn't you just love to have been there to hear the shouting match? Like, do you think that they had a nice polite shouting or do you think it was pretty rough? I think that anything that happened pre 1800 compared to today, the same messages could, could be conveyed, but just the class with which it was said just makes it sound better. Even if it's just as mean or meaner, uh, it just makes it sound nicer. Yeah. You know what would be really cool is if somebody would reach out to us on maybe iTunes and leave us a rating and review and maybe shout at us in a good way. I don't know. That might be kind of cool. Type it in all capital letters, just like your grandma. <laughs> you can do that by going to electioncollege.com slash iTunes. And it does help out the podcast, believe it or not, when you do that. Yeah, and you can also head over to our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, and you can leave us a little message on each of those. Or you can just interact with us. Sometimes we shout out questions, we mention quotes, etc. 
and uh, just go ahead and respond. Uh, reach out. We love the interactions there. with people who listen to the show, and it's really cool to see you interact on things we haven't even asked about because we know that means you're listening. Yep, and don't forget, you can help support the podcast for as little as 11 cents an episode by going onto our Patreon page. That's electioncollege.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us offset some of those costs that are associated with running a podcast. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.